Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, it's so good to see everybody. You ready to get to work? Ready to get in the Word? You ready for your life to be changed today? Are you expectant? There's just something about the Word of God. There's something about being in the house where the Holy Spirit dwells amongst His people and the living word of God is preached and it is received, man, things happen at this moment. I love church. My life has changed at church. And I want to read you a famous verse in Luke 2. Uh, we're in a Christmas series titled Christmas Is. The title of my message today is Christmas is for everyone. Everyone. Even the person in the room right now that you can't believe that you're even in church. It's for you. The person that you know that you're like, I can't believe they came to church today. It's for them. It's also for you, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, Christmas is for you. I love that. It's always fun. It's my least favorite thing to do if I'm in the, uh, the crowd, but it's my favorite thing to make you do. You know what I'm saying? Because if you ask me to do like, Christmas is for you. Um, well, I did it, Tyler, you know. Um, so thank you. Luke 2, Luke 2. Now there, were, uh, now there were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields. We go a New King James version for you today. Here we go. Out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Isn't it interesting, the glory of God, and they were greatly afraid? I think we're always fearful of what we don't know. It's amazing to be afraid of the greatest gift ever, and his name is Jesus. I meet a lot of fearful seekers. Well, if I give my life to him, is it going to ruin my life? No, no, it's the greatest decision of your life. So let me show you real quick why you have a fear problem. Then the angel said to him, do not be afraid for behold. You have a fear problem when you have a beholding problem. If you can't actually see what you're afraid of, you gotta get a little closer to Jesus, some of you. If you get closer, you'll be less fearful and you'll be way more excited. It goes on to say, I bring you good tidings of great joy and will to all people. Everybody say all people. Christmas is for all people. What do you know? Uh, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Who wish you could still be swaddled at this age? Just have somebody swaddle you. Watch a Netflix movie, you know what I'm saying? Swaddle away and just, you know, have like a little sippy cup. And just, uh, anybody? That'd be my nightmare because I'm claustrophobic. Some people are like, swaddle away. Um, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Woo, that's a good one. Come on. Have you ever had a job you just didn't like? Like, I, I mean, I think all of us, if we could sit around in a big old circle and share our least favorite jobs, I think we'd have a great time. But since I have the microphone, I'll just share mine. Does that sound cool? Okay. So I'll never forget, you know, my first two years of going to um, uh, college, I had to work really early in the morning to pay for school. So I was going to, uh, working at 4 a.m., getting off at 9 a.m., and then going to class. And so I worked at Milgard Windows. And Milgard Windows is where you would literally have the glass uh, tempered, where, if you don't know about glass, but it's 10,000 pounds of pressure in the middle going out to strengthen it. So the corners are really weak, but the glass makes it really strong. And so it would come through the heated thing, then I would grab it off the thing, and then I'd put it on the thing. For eight hours, I'd just lift glass off over and over again. I quit in two weeks. Your pastor's a quitter. Nice to meet you, okay? It's the only job I ever quit that fast. But if you had the job, you don't get it. It was destroying me, okay? So then I went and worked at the Melcorum YMCA. 
okay? And the Melkor YMCA was amazing. In Puyallup, there's not a lot of things to do, so they built this big one. It had water slides in it, pools, a running track indoor, three full courts. It was amazing. I became a program specialist. Basically, uh, they trained me in everything in case somebody didn't show up. No lifeguard here? Tyler, you're the lifeguard today. That was my least favorite thing ever. Little five-year-old swimming, and you just stand there. Hey, hi, hey, hi, hey, hi. I was, when that was on the schedule, I dreaded being the lifeguard. I was like, I've been calling sick. I don't want to be lifeguard today. And so I never had any saves. Not that anybody died. Just nobody actually I needed to save. Okay? Like, like, whoa, bad lifeguard. Swim to the edge. Grab the edge. Grab the, just jump in, Ty. You know? So uh, zero saves on duty. Um, uh, so that was one of my least favorites. And then the other one was my least favorite was I had to teach aerobics class once in a while. They teach me to be an instructor. I kid you not, like, like, like we were jumping and touching knees and then, you know, whatever, you know. Okay, feel the burn. Okay, one more time, one more fall. We had a little step up things, everything, okay. Um, those are my least favorite jobs, okay. My least favorite jobs. Now, jobs that I know I'd be terrible at would be a brain surgeon, it's above my pay grade. If you hired me to be a brain surgeon, I would not sleep the night before my first day on the job because whoever I'm working on that day is dipped. All right, Mr. Johnson, you're ready for surgery. Uh, what, the, what, do I, what do I do? It would, it would stress me out. Another job that I know would be terrible at, air traffic control, okay? Uh, can we land? Uh, sure, I don't know. <laughs> I can't see you, but yeah. Like, I'm no I'd be terrible at that job, okay? Um, jobs that I wish I could have, okay? Jobs I wish I could have. Uh, I wish I could be the shooting guard for the Golden State Warriors. Come on now. They double-team Steph all day long, and I'd just be on that three-point line just popping threes all day. Splash brother number three, you know? Clay, get out of the way. Tyler Johnson's on the team now, okay? Um, I would enjoy it, but the Warriors would suck because of it, okay? I'm terrible at defense. I'd be like, help, help, because I just, I, I'm not quick anymore. I lost my quickness, you know, like I ever had it. But anyways, um, that would be one. Another job I would have loved to have when I was younger and everybody would have suffered is I wanted to be in a boy band. I, I wanted to be an NSYNC, okay? I literally wanted to, I'm doing this tonight. Okay, so anyways, anyways, anyways. I lost respect from the church today. I said when I was younger, before I found Christ, when I was in darkness, okay? I was in ninth grade and we did bye 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 at a school camp thing. And I never had felt more alive in my life when I was pop, pop, spin, bye-bye. I mean, I was like, I was built to be in a boy band. I loved it. But I can't sing, and I really can't dance. 6'4 guy, you just kind of look, you know, like really Gumby-ish. It's just, everybody would have suffered if I would have got that job. Now, as I've gotten older, there's one job I never thought would destroy me until I had to do that job. I mean destroy, like paralysis, fear, puking, and that job is being an exterminator. Now here's why. Rachel and I, we got our new house. God was so kind, kind of a miracle, but we got to buy a house in the Bay Area, and if you don't believe in Red Seas being parted, it parted, come on now. Um, so we bought a house, and within the first two months, we heard a rodent, because we live like on a hill, just in the house, and not like a little rodent, like a rodent that walk around like this. This is my house, not your house. You think you're new, I've been here forever. Like, I mean, this thing was massive. So much so that like, it was Regis in the house, Regis here? Regis, amazing guy, serves here at the church at uh, camera. Uh, he's an electrician. He was helping the house. And I wasn't there one day. He's like, I, I think somebody was in your house, like, like an intruder. I was like, oh, no, that's just the rodent. He's just saying hi. <laughs> like, oh, Regis is here. What's up, Regis? It's just me, the rodent, you know? 
And so I didn't know how to do, like take care of a road, never owned a house before. So I go on Amazon, get a mousetrap, put it up in the vent where I hear him walking the most of the time. And um, I forget about it. Uh, and I just put it up there. I'm like, oh, hopefully you got it. I don't know. And then one day I was like, Rachel, I think we have a gas leak in the house. And, oh. Just don't judge me, okay? Bear with me as I share my 10 minute intro, okay? We're gonna get to the message. And so Rachel's like, well, no, we don't have gas leak. We don't even have, that's an electric stove. I'm like, oh yeah, good point. And I was like, oh. I was like, hi, I'm Tyler. I have lost every card imaginable today, okay? Just don't, don't judge this Christmas. So then I was like, oh my gosh, it could be a dead rat because I put a thing right up in the vent right up there. So I open up the vent, pop it down, bring it down, and this rat's tail <laughs> falls out. My wife can attest, it's the biggest rat we've ever seen. Would you agree with this, babe? The biggest, I, I thought it was like a, like a Labrador or Golden Retriever. I was like, did we kill a dog, you know? Is that a horse in there? Like, like, what is that thing? Massive, okay? And then, you know, I'm trying to, trying to be the man of the house, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna throw in the trash, and I climbed the steps to grab it, and I was like, I was like, I, I can't do it, Rachel. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm calling exterminator. I can't touch it. I can't even look at it. And so Rachel goes and grabs these big old Christy Teigen tongs that were like this big. And we're going to throw them out because she got canceled a while ago. I didn't do that. And so, ooh, shot's fired. I'm um, talking about that today. And so Rachel takes the tongs and she grabs this animal, you know, out of it, and I hold the bag, she puts it in the bag, and I throw it away, and I remember, like, just looking at my wife, like, I'm sorry, thank you, I was like, I can never do that again, it will destroy me, I'm never, we are calling an exterminator next time we hear a rodent, well, the last month and a half, I, get, I think the cousin moved in, so we're trying to, I'm back, where's my buddy, it's terrible, it destroyed me, it just, I mean, I couldn't do it, can I, can I share with you the Big meaning of Christmas. I'm about to get real theological now. Let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me put this in your lap. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were created. They were hired for a job. Of course, not a job. They were, they were entrusted to take care of the garden and enjoy the garden. That's their job. That's it. Adam and Eve, take care of the garden, enjoy the garden. This is your responsibility. This is what your bandwidth can handle. This is what your pay grade can handle. You're gonna flourish with this type of job. And then Satan comes on the scene and tells Adam and Eve, oh, you know what? God's holding out and you could be God. You could, you could lead your own life. It would be way better if you took the seed of God. You are stewarding this garden. You should be king of this garden. This should be your garden. He's holding out. You'll know good and evil. So what do they say? They say yes to a job Satan sold them. And when they said yes to that job, before and not, because they didn't know, but right when they said yes to that job, they walked into a job that destroyed them a weight they could never carry. And so on that day, Christmas is promised to Adam and Eve. It says to say, hey, a son will be born. I'm gonna, I'm gonna birth from this seed, a son, and he will stomp on your head and he will destroy you and he'll take his rightful place again as the king of kings and lord of lords over mankind. Christmas is Jesus taking his job back. Christmas is Luke 2, hey, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Y'all suck at the job of God, but God's coming to save you from it. You've been trying to redeem yourself and restore yourself through religion. It wasn't working. The Savior is here. Guess what? The job that you are trying to do, terrible at, well, guess what? The Savior is here to take his spot. Ooh, that's a Christmas promise. That's a great promise. Hmm. 
Just maybe, just maybe, the earlier you find out that you suck at being God of your life. Yeah, I said suck in church today because you need to hear this. That it destroys you. Oh, that it will, will literally demolish you. And if you would just ask God to take the rightful place in your life and say, God, will you be my authority? Will you be in charge again? Will you lead again, redeem again? Because my way has not got me where I'm supposed to go. I, I submit my resignation of God of my own life. That's what Christmas is all about. Taking the gifts from Jesus saying, Jesus, you can be my authority again. And something that's interesting is Jesus is your savior, but he's not your authority. He, he saved you, but you're still sitting in the wrong seat. Your business was going bankrupt and he paid the bills and you think you can still run the business. But the reality is he, he saved the business, but now you need to give him the CEO seat and you need to let him restructure some things in your life. Because the way you structured your business, the way you structured your life, the way you prioritize things, the way that you process things brought your business to bankrupt, why do you think you can now actually operate it well again? Look at your history, look at his history. I'm hiring Jesus today. You gonna hire Jesus today? Okay, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray. I thought today was gonna be a quick message, but if that was just my intro. We have online service, so you'll be fine. Just bear with me. Uh, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the house. God, I thank you that Christmas represents you taking your job back. The job of being our savior, our king, our father. Oh God, we were foster kids with no parent. Christmas is our parent coming back and saying, you're mine. It's our savior coming back and saying to the, the slave master, no longer are they slaves, but they're sons and daughters. So God, today I pray that our eyes would be open to our birthright. Oh God, I pray that my words would fall to the floor and your words are sore. Oh God, we love you, we love you. Everybody said? All righty, so uh, title of my message is Christmas is for everyone. Christmas is for everyone. Now, reason why the title is that is, I love this story in Acts 16. Acts 16 is this basic story of Christmas coming to Europe. It's the first time missionaries are making to Europe. Lydia in Acts 16 is the first person in Europe ever to get saved. Christmas, brand new to Europe. And now what I love about Acts 16 is there's three people. There's a rich person, a poor person, and a middle-class person. There's a Roman, there is an Asian person, and there is also a Middle Eastern person. What I'm trying to tell you is, sometimes people feel like, oh, Christian is a certain type of person. No, no, Christian is for all people. Christianity is amazing. Can I just, let me just read you something real quick. Um, Christianity started in the Middle East. Sometimes we live in our American bubble, we think, oh, like Christianity is an American thing. No, 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 start in the Middle East. Let me give you a couple other things real quick. There are more Christians in Africa and Latin America than all of America and Europe combined. By the year 2050, they're projecting 1 billion Christians just in Africa. We aren't even the epicenter of Christianity anymore. It's just that we haven't lifted our eyes to see what God is doing throughout the earth. You actually look at other continents, other countries, they are dwarfing us when it comes to how many Christians in the country. And the reality is that because Christianity is for everybody. Christmas is for everybody. Do you know other religions? And I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw, throw stones, but I gotta, I gotta open your eyes a little bit. That the the um, religion of Islam, the demographic, it's the Middle East. Primarily Middle East and then little bits and that's it, but Middle East. Um, uh, Hinduism, it's in India. It's not throughout the earth. It's not exploding in South America. Um, another one, Confucianism, it's in China. That's its primary spot. Another one, Buddhism, it's in Asia. But there's something about Christmas, there's something about Jesus, that when you tell a rich person, a poor person, a middle-class person, when you tell a person who's wise, who isn't that wise, who's broken, who doesn't think they're broken, there's a something about Jesus that literally scans the whole earth and the earth says, I need this Jesus. Because Christmas is for everyone. I, I, I love this, I, I, there's a book, um, 
Uh, I want to make sure I read it to you. Uh, it's called Destroyer of Gods, and it's by Leir Hurtado. And he looks at the first three centuries of the church. And the first three centuries of the church is fascinating because the church, you got to remember something. It started in an upper room. Jesus grabbed 12 people, ended up being 11. I don't want to talk about it. We'll talk about it later. His name is Judas. Very sad. Um, but it started in an upper room with a handful of people. And the church, from that day forth, it just proves to me that God is not done. And Christmas, for, let, me, let me show you a stat real quick. Put the picture up real quick. I believe the picture is, yes, there it is. Okay, so 40 AD, and these are conservative numbers. Larry Hurtado wanted to make sure that people were like, oh, he's just fudging them. It was ones that you could find self-professed to an extent when he did his study. So I actually think there's more than 1,000 40 AD because you think about Acts 2, it said thousands, but he's being conservative to make sure that the numbers came across well. So 40 AD, 1,000 Christians. 100 AD, 10,000 Christians. 200 AD, 200,000 Christians, 300 AD, 5 million Christians, 2020, 2.5 billion Christians. Just maybe, just maybe, Jesus isn't done building his church. Don't listen to the media. Oh, church is done. Oh, uh, people have moved on. They're, they're more academic now. No, no, academics need Jesus. Skeptics need Jesus. And my prayer today is as we look at Acts 16 uh, and we see three people basically get to experience the Christmas message, because really the Christmas message is the good news message. It's about Jesus being born. That as we see Acts 16 and we see three people get saved, you'll see that Christmas is for the religious, Christmas is for the broken, and Christmas is for the ones that don't even care, because that's really the three people that get saved. Do you want to know why it's called the book of Acts, by the way? It's called the book of Acts because the church was a church of action. That's it. I mean, what would, what would the, book, uh, what would the, the church um, book be called today if they wrote a book about us? Uh, the book of opinions? The book of attenders? No, I believe for Mission Church, the book of action also. This is gonna be a church that takes action. We're gonna pray, we're gonna love, we're gonna serve, we're gonna reach the lost. Does that sound good? Yes. Come on, I don't wanna be the book of attenders, I wanna be the book of Acts, come on. Acts 16 says this. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of something in Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Can I say, the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to a certain place. Let me encourage you. You, you tasted some blocked doors in 2021, you're welcome. Blocked doors are some of the greatest gifts from God to direct your steps to the right place. God's like, I don't want you to go to Asia. I've already been there. I want to go to Europe. Nobody's been saved in Europe yet. I want the gospel to go forth. So maybe, just maybe, God is leading you somewhere else so his kingdom can expand, okay? So the door is broken. Then coming to the borders of um, uh, da, 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 uh, Mysia, they headed north to the province of uh, Bithynia. Sorry, a lot of weird uh, cities. Um, but again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mysia uh, to the seaport of Troas. Blocked doors can be the best direction. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I love that. So we decided to leave Macedonia. We have concluded. Everybody say concluded. This is a big deal. Before we even get to it, the, we gotta, we're going to do three case studies on three people getting saved. But I want to do a case study on the person that goes. His name is Paul. He lived a life in action, but he also lived a life with an aim and a point. I heard somebody say this. I always in my life wanted to be somebody and do something. But as my life went on, I realized I probably should have been more specific because what is somebody and what is something? The aim of a believer is to be more like Jesus and to bring the kingdom of God to people. Uh, and so if I could just encourage you today, man, have a life of aim. Don't live aimlessly. Like conclude in 2022, I'm gonna build God's kingdom. I'm gonna become more like Jesus. You do those two things, watch what happens to your life. Let's keep going. Acts 16, here we go, Lydia. Uh, we boarded a, a boat uh, at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of 
Samarath race. I'm sorry, these, I'm just gonna say Walnut Creek. And the next day he landed at Concord. Uh, from the next day he reached uh, Danville. I mean, what do you wanna say? Uh, you know, Benicia, Martinez. Philippi, that's an easy one. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak and some women who gathered, uh, had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. Three things we learn about Lydia right there. One is, is she's a baller said that she's selling purple cloth. Lydia is um, very cosmopolitan. Lydia would be the one, if she lived in Walnut Creek, she would own the Nordstrom's because the purple cloth selling was the top of the top of the top. She sold beautiful things to beautiful people. She was high end, she was rich. She had a house in Walnut Creek. She had a house in Monterey. She had a house in Tahoe. And once in a while she wanted to, she'd go to Scottsdale in Arizona because she had a house there also, okay? This is Lydia. Bowling! Said she, she is a worshiper of God. Technical term, it says she feared God. She didn't know Jesus yet. She was a religious person. Another way you can say it is, you ever meet somebody who's spiritual and they say they like know God, but they don't really know God? Oh yeah, I, I get it. I, I know you're Jesus. No, they, 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 they want to live for God, but they've never really heard the gospel message. So they're doing their best. And so she would study the Old Testament because that's all she had. And they would gather and they would pray. And then Paul shows up to just have a conversation with her. My first point is this, is the gospel is for the religious. And what I mean by that is, is the gospel doesn't make people religious. The gospel does the opposite. It sets them free. The gospel creates a gospel, what I call gospel goodness. It, it makes you understand that you are so sinful, but God is so good. And that, you, that even though you're so sinful, that you can become so great again because God will restore whatever is broken in you. Oh, that's a good message. Amen. And so as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart. And she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be your guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged them until we agreed. Stop. So this is the first person saved in Europe. This is a big deal, okay? Lydia knew a useful God. She talked to Paul and now she knows a beautiful God. One of your roles as a believer, as a Christian, if you say, if you, if you say I'm a Christian, is to make people understand that God is not a useful God or an angry God. He's a beautiful God. If people know you, they better know God's beautiful. Because Lydia saw a beautiful God for the first time. She saw a useful God in religious ways. Well, if I follow these laws, I'll get this. Well, now I realize that Jesus paid the price now and his sacrifice was so beautiful. He loves me so much. Man, there's something beautiful in the gospel message. I want that. Yeah. It's amazing it's just a conversation. If you look through the book of Acts, a lot of theologians try to unpack what, what did that conversation look like that day with Lydia? And a lot of them say, that if you look at Paul's um, method of how he would evangelize to religious people, is he usually would start with a conversation, ask a question, so, so what, do you, what do you know about this God? And he'd allow them, to, they'd allow them to process where they're at. How are you going to lead somebody somewhere if you don't know where they're starting? So many of us try to direct people before we even hear where they're located. Ask questions to people. Ask them where they're at. And what's interesting is you'll know the, the seekers, the ones that really, like, oh, they've been processing and chewing on it. So it started with just questions and a conversation, and then it started with direction. Come on. So it goes on. Uh, he, uh, he shares basically the good news message with her, and she gets saved. My first little Christmas gift to you is don't discount the gift of a conversation this Christmas. Don't discount the gift of conversation. I'm gonna double down on this thought real quick. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, of course, Chronicles of Narnia, a very famous book. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, was an atheist, and he worked at Oxford University, one of the most premier universities in all the world to this day still. And one of his buddies, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, also worked at Oxford, a believer who loved the Lord. J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis would go on walks during work on breaks. 
So they would teach a class and they would go on walks and Jared Tolkien loved the Lord and so he would share Jesus with C.S. Lewis. And as they'd walk and have conversations, C.S. Lewis, uh, J.R. Tolkien is quoted saying that C.S. would tell him, J.R., we're academics. Like, this isn't for us. A guy who died 1,900 years ago, over 1,900 years ago, who'd laying in a, who, who died in a tomb, it's dead body, what, how's that gonna help me, J.R.? J.R., we're academics, we're smarter than that. Why would you believe in Jesus? So C.S. and J.R. would go back and forth in these conversations, and J.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis credits basically this moment where uh, J.R. just said to C.S., he goes, and of course his name is Clive, so we say, hey, Clive, time out. Do you ever have moments when you see something beautiful in creation? Do you ever have moments when you see art? He talks about art because he knew C.S. was a big art fan. Do you ever have moments where you feel in your soul that just something is missing, that this perfection on this world, you just can't find it? And C.S. Lewis credits those conversations for him going on a journey. And he says that one day he got in a little sidecar and he literally got into it an atheist and got out a believer in Christ. Okay, he, he had a conversation and he reasoned himself to Jesus. This is one of the ways people get saved. And I love what C.S. wrote. C.S. Lewis credits this part of this uh, process. He, he talks about being a citizen, of a, uh, a citizen of heaven. And here's how he writes it. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfactions for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Man feels sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Can I just submit to you that the gift of a conversation is doing more than you think? That just having a walk with somebody and letting them ask you questions. Isn't it weird that you believe in a guy who died 2,000 years? What if it's, a, I saw the Da Vinci Code. Just made, like, let them process. Let them share everything they want to share. Let them share their atheist views. Can I be honest? Not a lot of people are processing their eternity. Not a lot of people are processing who their creator is and why they're alive and why they have breath in their lungs. Man, one of the greatest gifts that you can give this Christmas somebody is just processing their life with them. Have a conversation. The religious need Jesus. Christmas is for the religious. Don't be intimidated by an academic. Just process with them. Can I get an amen? Part two, Christmas is for the broken. It's for the broken. Let me show you this. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had the spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell us um, how to be saved. Now let's just look at this. A slave girl who had, had a spirit that enabled her. So possession, oppression, uh, we, we, we don't go here a lot in uh, our Western culture, but there are, literally the Bible says, demonic forces and demons and angels, heaven and hell. There is darkness, literally principalities, the Bible says, that rule over regions. This is, this is what the Bible shows us. We can't see that, but this, uh, the, the spiritual, but that's around us. So this woman is broken from sin entering the world and dark, the, the darkness of hell basically impeding it, okay? So she's broken by that. And when people are broken, other people that are also broken use broken people to leverage for themselves to gain money or to gain power. And that's what we see here in this moment. A broken person being used by the, a broken world, exploited, and the broken authorities love this part of it because they're benefiting from this brokenness. Do you see the picture at all? We see this all the time in our world. We see it with, uh, right now, sex slavery. It's massive throughout the world right now. It is, this, Act 16 is not an archaic story. It's happening today. So it goes on to say, this uh, went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, 
I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly left her. Woo, we talk about spiritual stuff today. We're gonna talk about demons today, are you ready? Kind of, okay. Okay, love it. Uh, I love what it says, Paul said he's exasperated. He's, he's over it. He's, he's frustrated, he's annoyed. I'm over it. I'm done. I'm done with the gates of hell. I'm done with darkness distracting me, trying to wear me out. Enough. You're done, darkness. Be gone. Girl set free. Now, can I ask you a question? What are you exasperated over right now? What are you exhausted over? Are you exhausted over all the hate? Are you, are you exasperated over all the division? Over all the pride? Over all the crime? Over all the sexual idolatry that's going on in our uh, area right now? Are you exasperated all from those things? So what should we do? In Luke 9, Jesus gathers his disciples and he grabs them together and he gives them all the power of the kingdom to complain and blame. Oh no, that's not the verse. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. To get, he gives them all the power and authority to go change what needs to be changed. Power and authority. It's interesting, the world's way is to complain and blame. Complain about it and then blame somebody else for it or blame a certain type of person or blame a group of people. This is the world's way on how to fix what's broken right now in front of our eyes. I'm gonna submit to you, just, I'm gonna submit to you, just maybe, just maybe there's more than just complaining and blaming. That God has given you power and authority. Now, what does power and authority look like? Let me just give you a simple picture. Power and authority, uh, when he gave, uh, in Luke 9, 1, the disciples power and authority to cast out demons, literally to take back, again, to bind, to push back the gates of hell. Uh, picture yourself a 16-year-old and your father is a good father, comes out, Whatever your dream car is, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. You know, if it's a Tesla, it's a Tesla. If it's a McLaren, it's a McLaren. If it's a Ford Fiesta, that's weird. Um, but whatever it is, whatever your dream car is, it gives you the keys. Let's just do a 1965 Shelby GT, okay? Um, and so, because that's just a cool car. That's not even my favorite car. I'm just, I just it's got horsepower, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so, tosses you the keys and says, it's yours. Go. And for months, you go out and you got your keys and you just walk around the car. And this is a cool looking car. You wash the car, you study the car, you, you, you tell your friends about the car, but you never get in and turn the key. You know that Jesus told us not to study him, but to follow him. And so many Christians study who Jesus is and study their Bible, but don't, don't let the enemy trick you. You weren't called to be a Bible studier, you're called to be a Jesus follower. And a Jesus follower follows in his steps with the same power and authority. And some Christians, I'm being honest, you, you, you talk about Jesus, you, you show your friends, uh, you know, things of, of the kingdom. You, you, you talk about it, you study it, but you never got in and actually lived it. And, and so if I could just uh, encourage you, some of you, the power and authority God's given you, you need to get in the car, turn the key, and start going further and faster than you ever have before, okay? More breakthroughs in your marriage when you start taking power. When's the last time you bound, it, uh, you bound division and fighting in your marriage? Don't do it in front of your spouse, that'll be a fight, okay? I bind division and fighting. Oh, is that to me? Oh, no, I'm so sorry. You have been given authority to bind things. You've been given authority to open up heaven and say the kingdom of God come to me and come through me. This is your birthright. And so Paul knows it. Very simple. Done. Darkness, get out of here. But to believers today, it's like, hold on a second. We're, uh, we're really smart now. We don't do that. Oh, we don't bind things. Oh. Sorry. I mean, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back, I promise. I, uh, um, I think sometimes when you tell somebody to bind something or start praying, they'll leave church today, and you're like, all right, I'm going to do it. 
All right, I got power. Lord, I pray for unity in my house. Pray for my kids to start being obedient. I, I bind whatever this, this depression is. I bind it, boom, be gone. You wake up the next day, it didn't work. Well, I tried it, Tyler. I did exactly what you told me, it didn't work. Can I just tell you sometimes that, that the way prayer works, it's not a one little hit or quitter. It's literally a process. You gotta pray and pray a little bit more, pray a little bit more. One of the best pictures I can tell you that prayer does turn things. And you may, you may not turn it right away, but the more you stay faithful to prayer, it will change things in your home. It will change things in the Bay Area. One of my favorite stories, just so you can really see the picture, is my childhood buddy, uh, childhood best friend. Um, God, these are my God kids, Justice and Adrian, okay? And so we, we've uh, visited a good amount right when they were born. Get, gotta get it out, out there within a few weeks. Got to see them, came out a little bit later. They're now, uh, you know, a few months old. They think about eight, nine months old. And uh, because they're in Florida, there's a lot of drowning. So they actually teach little infants on how to turn themselves up so they won't drown in a pool. So they literally throw an infant in the pool. They hire somebody to do this. And the infant's just like, you know, and then they flip them over. And the infant, you know, like, uh, so this is a tactic they use. So I'm actually visiting during the time they've hired somebody to teach justice how to flip over, nine-month-old little infant, how to flip over his back and learn how to float so he won't drown. So I'm showing up and I see the guy put justice in face first and just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, bro, how, how much this guy costs? Man, therapy's gonna be way more in about 15 years. Justice's gonna wake up with cold sweats, ah, the pool, the pool, you know? And, he's, and Drew's like, no, like, this is what we do. Like, I'm telling you, it's gonna work. I'm like, okay, okay, you know? And so literally, this guy comes three times that week and I just see him literally almost like drowning justice and nothing happens. Like, I'm like, man, this is, I'm, justice, I'm sorry. As your godfather, I am so sorry, you know? There's gotta be a better way, you know? So uh, a few weeks later, Drew sends me a video and it's justice and he's in the pool and he starts shaking his body. Starts shaking his body and he starts shaking his body and he literally is on top of the water like this, breathing and I was like, this kid is like Michael Phelps. Like, get him in the Olympics. A nine month old's flipping around in the pool? I was like, this is amazing. I was like, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. I was like, whatever you pay that guy, you didn't pay him enough. Pay him more money. I want to hire him for myself. How do I do it? Okay, okay, you know. <laughs> and if I could just encourage you, prayer is a lot like that. You jump in and you pray, nothing. You jump in, you pray, nothing. You jump in, you pray, nothing. By week three, you start to pray a little something. By week four, you keep praying a little something. By week seven, a little something. And then by week eight and week nine and week 10, your marriage is nothing what it used to be because you prayed over. You started seeing a turn in your house. You started seeing a turn in your marriage. You started to see a turn in your joy. You started to see a turn in the way you dream. You started to see a turn in your mindset because you kept praying. There's something about Christians saying, hey, this is what God gave me, power and authority. I'm going to take my power and authority and I'm going to pray for it. The Bay Area, it's going to be unified. The Bay Area, there's going to be revival. The Bay Area, the broken will be restored. The Bay Area, there will be the lost coming in here. There will be people who have been abused that, that will not mark their life. They'll be redeemed and restored. I believe it. We're praying for it. And slowly and surely, we're going to see the Bay Area become everything God called it to be. It doesn't happen on accident. It takes a church saying Christmas is for everyone. Don't discount the power of prayer. It's my second little Christmas gift to you. Don't discount the power of praying for someone or for something. Don't discount it. I'm gonna double down on something today. Can I double down on something? So a lot of us, we picture demons, you know, because we see movies as like, you know, the exorcist or something else. Like, you know, like we picture that as demonic. And so we're like, well, I didn't see that yesterday, so I don't need to bind that. <laughs> if, you did, if you did, sorry. Um, bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. Um, I want to read you some verses of, I want to open your eyes. The, the Bible is alive and it, it wants to set you up 
to win. It wants to protect you. And James 3 says this, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's, uh, God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Selfishness, ambition, and bitterness is demonic. We don't use that verbiage. There's, oh, this person's a little selfish. No, 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 there is a demonic spirit. It is not of God. And when we see selfishness and we see bitterness and we see arrogance, it is the gates of hell taking back ground through the, the ideology of hell instead of the ideology of heaven. And we don't look at it that way because we don't, we, we don't bind selfishness. You need to bind selfishness. You need to destroy. The, the, the biggest competitor of you have your promise is the flesh that is on you that's trying to pull you in the wrong direction. So it goes on to say, uh, these things are demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. You see some disorder in the Bay Area right now? Can we start binding uh, those things in the name of Jesus? Can we? Let's do it, church. Let me read you another one. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. I'm about to double down on this. If you don't like it, email me at joe at missionchurchca.com. Okay, here we go. I will make sure, I will check, he will check it. Okay, uh, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Let me, let me keep going. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. AKA they don't feel conviction of it. Can I, I'm gonna submit something real quick. So, so it says in the last days, there will be movements, there will be teachings, deceptive, AKA they'll sound good, but they're from demons because they're not leading to life, they're leading to death. This is the Bible showing us, watch out for demonic forces leading you the wrong way. I'm gonna submit something real quick. The woke movement, it's a demonic movement. Okay, hold on, let me unpack it. Cancel culture, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, there was a celebrity even the last few weeks that I'm not a fan of that was fired and canceled, and I rejoiced. I celebrated it. I was like, that guy used to cancel everybody. I'm so glad he got canceled. I was like, I, mean, I shot Rachel a little, like I, I copied the article I sent to Rachel. Like, did you see who got canceled today? Can I show you a picture real quick? Cancel culture rejoices when somebody is destroyed and punished, no redemption, and everybody rejoices. We fix the problem. If we destroy all the bad people, then all the good ones will have a good life. That's, that's woke movement cancel culture. Heaven rejoices when the worst are saved. When the worst are brought into the family of God, not casted out, when the worst actually get a second chance, a third chance, and all of heaven rejoices, chest bump says, guess who got saved today? The worst one. Because we don't celebrate cancel, we celebrate salvations and restoration. Woo! I know it's not a lot of class right now because it's kind of awkward. Because culture is so strong and it has impacted the way you process. You honestly think that if we give people enough tools, worldly tools, and cancel all the bad people and all the bad things, then we'll have heaven on earth? You really think that ideology is gonna save this world? Because I know believers that actually say, well, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, 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 all of this, none of that. And that, that's what Paul is doing at this moment. Paul is saying, hey, demonic forces, no place here. I don't care if it's helping some people get rich, it's not okay with me. Can we, can we, can we be a church this next season and just say, God, can I have your wisdom? You know what it says about uh, heavenly wisdom? In that verse, it says, heavenly wisdom is impartial. It has no partiality to it. A.K.A. heavenly wisdom, it's in James, read, read it, so this is the same verse. It says that heavenly wisdom is impartial. So, so, so worldly wisdom is partial. Worldly wisdom sees things through its political lens. Worldly wisdom sees things through its 
past lens, its preference lens, its history lens, but heavenly wisdom sees it with grace and it's impartial and it sees things the way you're supposed to see it. What if we saw the world the way God would want us to see it? Impartial and loving and kind. Amen? All right, I'm gonna keep going. Um, Part three, I'm done. Uh, This one is Christmas is for the ones who don't care about it. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Right there, you need to know something. The jailer is being very unkind. They are, that word even beaten, it is to a pulp basically, the Greek word. So you gotta understand their backs are bleeding, wounds open. They have been literally just destroyed. And then when they're putting stocks, just to give you a picture real quick, it's a really uncomfortable position, not only for being bent over, but the way that your legs would be, it wasn't a natural thing. So you're just putting stocks. The jailer just told him, hey, make sure they can't escape. And one of the customary things the jailer would do for a lot of time would at least help you with your bandages and bind up your wounds and then put you in because you just got beaten. This jailer just said, I don't care about this people. Put them in, lock them up in the most comfortable way. I'll make sure they don't escape. So this is the beginning of this story of the person who doesn't care about people, just doing their job, and doesn't care about Christmas, doesn't care about Jesus. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I just love that, you know. Uh, I'll preach uh, Acts 16, 25, like 10 times in our church history, because this thing preaches. You can call it, you can tile it chain breakers. You can tile about, you can tile about like, you gotta have worships, you know, hidden in your heart. You gotta have things hidden. You gotta have, uh, you know, miracle memory. You gotta have, you know, I, I remember my kids, my, 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 my childhood phone number, 8413224. It's very easy. You need to have worship songs in you because when you are in those kind of seasons, you gotta worship your way out of it. So I'm gonna preach that another time. That thing preaches itself. One of the easy things to preach because it's just so good, but not today, okay? Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison uh, was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I'm not sure what they were worshiping, maybe. It is well, it is well with my soul. Maybe they're worshiping that. I'm guaranteeing you they're better singers. Uh, but they were worshiping. And then the prison doors opened. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew a sword to kill himself. Why did he do that? Because the culture back then said, when you fail, you're done. That if these people escaped, they were gonna kill him. So he was just saving them the, 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 the time and he's just gonna kill himself. So th- this man only knows the world's way of failure. And so he's about to kill himself and he hears this, but Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeons and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Did you guys see the gospel preached? I didn't see the gospel preached. Can I read you real quick one of my favorite quotes? You don't tell someone who's uninterested about the gospel, you show them the gospel. People who are uninterested, they don't want to hear it, they need to see it. This guy, get out of here. I don't care if Paul and Silas are another another, uh, troublemakers who are telling people about though they're called followers of the way. I don't care about it. But right when he saw the goodness of the gospel, the kindness of the gospel, don't discount a kind act this Christmas. The ones that are disinterested, they don't want to hear the gospel, they want to see the gospel. And so they see the gospel message, and because of it, he goes, oh, I, I, I want whatever this is. So what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they uh, shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in the household. I love that. Believe in the Lord, you'll be saved. Can, can I be honest real quick? So many people have so many debates. Well, how is somebody saved? Do they have to repeat this? Uh, well, is a hand raised good enough? It is a response heart thing. 
Don't get caught up in like, well, what's the perfect way for somebody? If somebody says yes to Jesus, the only one who knows for sure is Jesus, but they're saying yes, you're good. I, th- I see so many theological debates. Well, hold on, should we do? Believe in Jesus. I believe. Boom, saved. Oh, Paul, hold on. Uh, did you walk him through the Roman road? Uh, did you tell him to recognize his sinful behavior? For- Relax. Start having people say yes to Jesus. It's holding you back. Be free. Tell people about Jesus. Want Jesus? Yeah, boom. Hey, somebody got saved. What did they do? They said yes to Jesus. Oh, good job. All right, sweet. Let's keep going. Sorry, I got one off. Okay, then I, I feel like a lot of Christians are paralyzed, so they don't know like how to leave, but now you do. Okay, the next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, Silas, are free to leave, go in peace. Um, I'm gonna finish and we'll go. Uh, so Paul, uh, Christmas for everyone. Uh, we gotta understand that Paul got to experience Christmas a little earlier in this journey for his own life. Uh, Paul was a Jewish man. Now, we got to remember that this was a Middle Eastern person, a Roman person, and a Asian person. Eastern Asia was where Lydia was from. And rich, poor, uh, and a middle class. And Paul shares the gospel with all of them. And he pays the price for all of them. I mean, he just pays the cost. Well, before Paul was saved, uh, one of the most famous prayers that he would have prayed thousands of times, as a Pharisee and as a Jewish man, he would have prayed this prayer. I want to read it to you. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Catch this. Oh, thank you, you didn't make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Paul goes to Europe, leads a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Because when Christmas really invades your life, everyone matters to you. When Christmas invades your life, the ones that you despise becomes the ones that you love. When Christmas invades your life, it becomes a mission for you to reach the ones that you used to pray against and actually not want to even talk to. Paul would pay prayers thanking he wasn't that, and now he's saying, ooh, come on, you're my family, you're my family, you're my family. There's something about the brokenness of culture that will sell you a way to live, and then there's something beautiful about Christmas that will show you how to love. And can I encourage you this Christmas? Go love people this Christmas. Love the ones that you're thankful you're not. Love the ones that you despise. Love the ones that you wish were getting canceled right now. And just maybe, just maybe Christmas could invade their home also. Will you bow your heads with me? Almost your first time, second time in church, but I always want to give somebody an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing. And just like Paul, when they said, man, I want this Jesus, I want to get saved, all he said was, believe in Jesus, say yes to Jesus. You want to say yes to Jesus. You want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. Yes to blessing, no to curse. You want to respond and confess and believe. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, I'm going to simply ask you to raise your hand in response. Oh, we prayed for you today if it's the first time. I see you already. One, two, three, raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus. I see you and I see you and I see you. Come on. Anybody else doesn't want to say yes to salvation this morning? God, we thank you for those hands. God, I pray that as Mission Church goes on, Lord, that this isn't the end of service. This is just us starting church this week, that we would love the religious this week, or we'd have conversations, that we would love the broken this week, that we would pray for the broken, oh God, and that we would love the people who just don't even care, that don't even care about us, don't even care about the message, oh, that we would love them, and that we wouldn't tell them the gospel, we'd show them the gospel. God, use Mission Church this next season. Oh God, we're expectant for great things. 
God, we believe you're turning it right now. We believe you're turning the tide right now. We believe the Bay Area is turning right now. We believe that unity is coming. We believe that redemption is coming. We believe that revival is coming. We believe that wells of living water are being dug right now in prayer in the name of Jesus. God, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.